said the campers are back, and so they had a great time this week. Thank you for all those that helped uh, support uh, the camp this year and, and help campers along. It's been, been a blessing already. So uh, just kind of kind of want to pick up where we left off. It's been a few weeks, and uh, I was out on vacation, and uh, last week, of course, was the Lord's Supper. Had a great time. Appreciated, uh, uh, you know, our, our brother, Mike Pepper, and that was a great message, a reminder of really what we need to be doing in regard to the seven realities of HBF. The seven realities are seven uh, just just really attributes that we've been looking at. Excuse me. Uh, uh, had a rough night. No, just kidding. So uh, the uh, realities are, there are seven realities of HBF that we've been looking at, and uh, we're on the sixth one. We're going to finish that up this morning, but just by way of review, uh, in, in the past, where we've been, we started with our first reality, dealing with real people must be found in real churches, how, and we looked at how everyone is wanted, everyone is welcome, and everyone is one. And then we moved to our second reality, dealing with how real Christians, authentic Christians, are like Christ, or Christ-like. And uh, the disciples were first called Christians at, uh, in uh, Antioch in Acts 11 and verse 26. And, uh, you know, real Christians re- reflect diversity, reproduce spiritually, they respond cheerfully. We saw that uh, our third reality is that real relationships reach people. And so, uh, obviously, real Christians are going to relate to people. Uh, first of all, God, right? We're going to fellowship with Him and uh, connect with Him. We're going to reach families and reach cultures, communities, cities, and countries. That was our third reality. Our fourth reality was real ministers reproduce. Okay, so re- reality number four is real ministers reproduce God's character. Real ministers reproduce obedient children, humble servants. And submissive masters. The fifth reality is that real ministers are drawn to real battles. They care for casualties, prepare for adversity, and share the victory. So that brings us up to where we were with our sixth reality uh, and where we are today. And last week, or it was actually not last week, it was last month, uh, last time we were together on this, I talked to you about how it's important that we don't get discouraged in the battle for souls uh, because Jesus died on the cross, right? He gave everything for us. And so for, and when it comes to leadership, which is what we're really talking about when we get to our sixth reality, real leaders, or I'm sorry, real battles, uh, which was our fifth reality, reality, refine real leaders. When God grows us to the point that we really engage in the things that matter to God, we get in real battles, we have a real adversary, that's actually what refines us as real leaders. And the, the thought of leadership can be scary. Uh, last time we got together, I talked about how real leaders lead from the front. And uh, what, what takes the edge off of that is the reality that Jesus Christ goes before us. So really, in biblical leadership, it's not about you being the type A alpha male. It's about really just following Jesus obediently, which can in itself be a little bit scary at times because God calls you to follow him faithfully. And, of course, the, the, the leader of the disciples, as we talked about uh, in our last sermon, was Peter. And he ended up having to learn that ultimately the last thing we see about him in John 21 was follow me, right? That was the hard lesson he had to learn as the leader was simply to follow no matter what, right? He didn't have the prerogative to do what he wanted to do. He had to do what God told him to do and let God and trust God for the results, right? Because the things that uh, the way Jesus ended that ministry there in Jerusalem before he resurrected was not exactly what Peter had in mind, but God taught him, and Jesus showed him, look, Peter, my ways are better than your ways. My ways are higher than your ways, so follow me, and you will get the opportunity, just like I did, to face a death before your enemies, and you will have to believe me that you've conquered it through the resurrection, which is what we are all about as leaders in the ministry, right, is following Jesus. We die to ourselves, And so in my previous message, as we looked at that subject of leadership, I define leadership, which is the most simple definition uh, to most people define it today as influence, which is the cool thing to do. But, um, but really, I define it as one who goes first. It's just the most simple way of looking at what a leader is. I mean, that's like the kindergarten version of the definition, and it's the right one. And Jesus went first. He took on sin and death, and he, and he, and he has, uh, got the victory, and so we follow him in that victory. So when a person chooses to go first, they manifest the character of a leader. So anytime leadership is studied, it does boil down to that one thing, and you might remember I mentioned that last time, and that is character. We also saw that we don't have to be in crisis over leadership because we get our leadership assurance from Christ. And the biblical defini- definition I'm sorry, of biblical leadership is simply to follow Jesus. So when God called Peter to lead the church in Jerusalem, he simply had to teach him that one thing. Follow me, build your character, and, and follow me. Right, Integrity, being completely focused on Christ is the key. 
And so Paul, when he wrote to the, the Corinthians, he said to them the same thing in verse 1 of chapter 11. He says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. So he didn't say, just follow me. He said, look, look at the way I'm following Christ and emulate that. Follow me as I follow Christ, uh, because Jesus Christ is who we're all following. So biblical leaders simply follow uh, our followers of Jesus Christ, and, and we're all, and that includes all of us, are refined on the battlefield of uh, this planet in which we live right now. And uh, there's literal battles and there's spiritual battles, but all of, it, all of it ultimately ends up being a battle between good and evil, God and the devil. And uh, no matter where, you're, where you find yourself, when you're born again, you are born into a battle. You're born into a war between God and the devil, good and evil. And this is adult spiritual conversation. This isn't for the, the, the newly saved necessarily, the baby Christian, though it is true. Um, it, takes some, it takes some discipling and some dis- discipline to really sit down and reckon with the reality that, wait, God has put me in this theater to make a difference. And then you have to get about doing the difference that God wants you to make. you got to be who God saved you to be so you can accomplish that which God has saved you to accomplish. So last time we got together, we talked about that, and, and leadership is all about following God when no one is, is watching, right? It's what we do in private that works its way out in public. And if God can trust you when you're alone, He can trust you when everyone's watching. And so we saw that in the example of David, right? He, he God cultivated a relationship with David in private that was manifest in public. So by the time it was public, it was no big deal, right? Because David was, was in a whole different place because uh, he was focused on what God's Word said and how, and he had the discernment to understand what God's Word said and how it related to the challenges in front of him. And of course, today, the world is faced with a lot of challenges, so we should be able to take what God says and be able to employ it against uh, the uh, spirit of of Antichrist simply that's working uh, very effectively in these last days before the Lord comes and catches us away. So that's where we left off, and I'm going to pick us back up here. And let's just, before we jump into the text, and, and I'll do just one more point in review, and then we will uh, we'll get into the, the new points of this lesson. I want to look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 and just read the text. If you'd stand with me in honor of God's Word, we're going to read verses 1 through 10 afresh, uh, get reoriented, and then we'll jump off into your outlines that you have in your in your bulletins. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou unto faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Our HBI is coming up. We need some faithful men and women to sign up. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, he, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier." If any man also strive for the masteries, yet he is not crowned, except he strive lawfully. The husband that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ, of the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel, where, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sakes." that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your love for us. We're thankful for the grace that's bestowed upon us as Paul uh, speaks that to his son in the Lord, Timothy. Thank you for uh, making us soldiers and servants and uh, making us children, most importantly, first and foremost. But Lord, also we see here that we're, we are to be engaged in real battles and, uh, and be like the farmer, the husbandman, that can cultivate uh, fruit in the field that you put us in. Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray, God, that you would quicken the things that are going to be said this morning uh, in our hearts, Lord, that you would move us forward in the kingdom of God, Lord, that you would be uh, pleased with what is said and how we apply it to our hearts, and that when you come to catch us away, we'd be ready and, uh, and effectual and fervent in the things that you called us to, including prayer and, uh, and sharing the word of God and training faithful men who are able to teach others also. We thank you and we praise you and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So 2 Timothy chapter 2 Verses 1 through 10 is kind of a little personal outline that God uses in my own life to, as a check place. So I check myself to see how I'm doing, measure myself against those things. And we saw last time that we got together in the first point that real leaders lead from the front. I left that in your outline. We talked about how Jesus modeled that, how the apostles modeled that. And uh, by God's grace, the leaders here at HBF modeled that. The, Hebrews of the, the heroes of the faith in Hebrews uh, modeled that. Everyone that walks by faith is really a model of that biblical leadership of leading from the front, which just means following Jesus by faith, which is our next point. So uh, our, second re- our second point of study in regard to this sixth reality 
that real battles refine real leaders, right? Real leaders lead from the front. Point two, real leaders are faithful, right? Faithfulness is the key. It's not just about what you do. It's really what you do with the Word of God that matters. And so real leaders are faithful. A real leader is a faithful man or woman of Christ. Our real leaders are faithful followers. Real leaders are faithful followers. That's point A. In, our, in your text there, in the notes, you have 1 Corinthians 4, verse 15. The Bible says, Therefore, though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, that ye have not many fathers, uh, for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Uh, he says in verse 16, Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring unto you uh, into I'm sorry, bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. So Paul here is sending a faithful man in his stead. He's like, there's nobody else like Timothy that thinks like I do, walks like I do. I mean, he's the real Slim Shady, and he is standing up, right? So he's going to come. Some of you don't know that, but anyway, uh, he's going to come in my stead, and he's going to teach you. Uh, he's going to teach you just like I would teach you because he's following Christ the way I'm following Christ. And so uh, Philippians 3.17 says, Brethren, be ye followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as you have us for an ensample. Right? And so the, those, he says, guys, make sure you, you note those, mark those that, that walk like we walk, right? That, that talk like we talk, that teach what we teach. He goes, you need those ensamples, right? People's lives that you can have a sample from, right? Like you go to the grocery store and that lady's sitting there and she's like, hey, would you like to try some of this delicious food, right? And they give you a sample. They want you to taste and see that that, that sausage is good, right? And so uh, that's what Paul's saying. You need to be around people that, that their life is, is right with God. They're walking with God. They're following Jesus. That makes them a leader. And then you know what? You follow them. And that's how we uh, lead in the body of Christ. So, and so we see that. So number one, we need to be finding encouragement as, as a faithful follower. What are we looking for here? Well, real leaders are faithful followers, so what do we need to be finding? We need to be finding encouragement as a faithful follower. So this point has already been developed uh, in this introduction that I gave, but let me give you some more encouragement. Number one, or point A, find Christ. That's the where it starts. Uh, I just went to a conference on leadership, a lot of leadership talk, this, that, and the other. It's all good, but at the end of the day, it's, uh, it's in completely vain if you're not following Christ. What good is it to follow anybody anywhere if they're not leading you to Christ? It doesn't mean anything if you're a Fortune 500 this or that, or you got a great business, or you got a great this. Or, who really cares? Who cares about your social media influence if you're not influencing people for Christ, right? Now, you may care because you're like, oh, I can make a lot of money. At the end of the day, your money ain't going to matter a hill of beans. At the end of the day, what's really precious is the Word of God and the souls of men. We have a whole different economy in the body of Christ. We're solely, we're so fanatical. We're focused on Jesus Christ. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a Fortune 500 person and, and having a business and all of that. I'm not against any of that. I'm just saying, at the end of the day, though, we're following Christ. The most encouraging thing that we're ever going to point anyone to or lead anyone to is Christ, because Christ is the answer, just like the kid, you know, in, the, in Sunday school, the little kids over here in the, in the E-wing What's the answer? You know, for the first three classes, Jesus, that's the right answer. That's the right answer. Jesus really is the answer. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so he's the only man who will, who will uh, never mislead you, right? Jesus Christ is the only man. Think about that. He is the only man who will never mislead you, wife. He's the only man that will never mislead you, husband. So what does that mean? Well, you know, I hate to say this, but we all make mistakes. I don't really hate to say it. It's kind of a relief, you know, just in case anybody had a false uh, conception of what leaders are. Unless you're following Christ, Christ is the only leader that's never going to make a mistake. So you can know right now, if you're, if you're leading your family, if you're leading people at work, if you're leading people at school, you're leading people on an athletic field, you're going to make mistakes. But Jesus Christ never makes mistakes. Jesus Christ is the person you've got to find because he never makes mistakes. And so if you're looking for the perfect leader, you better establish a personal relationship with Christ. Not simply get fire insurance, but trust Jesus as Lord and Savior and sup with him daily. Follow him daily. The Apostle Paul understood that. And, and that is why he added to be followers of me as I follow Christ. Because even Paul made mistakes. And so we don't, we, uh, we don't know Christ. I'm sorry, if we don't know Christ, we won't know who to follow. 
If we don't know Christ, we, will, we really don't know who to follow. And there is a time coming when this entire world will be deceived, for the most part. There's going to be some exception, but for the most part, they're going to be deceived by the Antichrist because men have made a choice, and they make decisions not to follow Christ. Even as I preached this morning, we didn't have a lot of guests or whatever that I know of, but maybe online or maybe you've been coming and you're really not born again yet. You're really not bought in on following Christ. But I'm telling you, it's like you're, there's a point in time when, you, when a decision not to make a decision is a decision. Right? When the Spirit of God convicts our hearts of our need for Jesus Christ, our need to follow Christ, and we're convicted in our core, we know that the Spirit of God is convicting us of our need for Christ and we still sit there cross-armed. And we never actually reach out, cry out to God. We never confess Him with our mouth and believe in our heart that God is raising from the dead. We never surrender is the key word. We never surrender our life and just say, Lord, take me. You gave your life for mine. I'm giving my life to you. And we surrender to Him. If we don't do that, at some point, a failure to make a decision is a decision. And thereby, you think, well, I'm doing my thing. You do your thing. I'm all down with Jesus. I like what you're doing, but I can't do what you do. Well, hey, listen. You're following somebody else. I mean, you're either following Jesus or you're following the devil. I mean, there's a reason, like the soundtrack in my head when I love that song, Running with the Devil. There's a reason that God, uh, that I'm dating myself, I know. But, uh, but, but there's a reason after I got saved, God stopped me one day and said, Brian, quit singing that song because you're no longer running with him. And I'm like, wow, I'm not running with him. So I had to take that out of my playlist, right? I had to, I had to get rid of it because I, I was no longer running with the devil. I'm running with God. I've made my decision. That's who I'm following. Like the old hymn goes, I have decided to follow Jesus, right? I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And so another thing we need to find, obviously we need to find Christ. That's, that makes all the difference. We can't even talk about leadership and and having it refined in real battles if we aren't following Christ. But secondly, we've got to find the Bible, right? You've got to find the Bible. And uh, the Word of God is the direct communication that you need to follow Christ. It's great to come and listen to me and your ABF pastors on Sunday and check in on Wednesday night. You should do those things. But at the end of the day, we're all, all of us collectively are saying, and if you're in, in Discipleship 1, all of us are sitting there across the table, sitting here in a pulpit somewhere, uh, uh, communicating on social media, whatever it is, well, all we're trying to do is get everybody to get in the Bible themselves, right? There's a day where you need to get in the Word of God yourself and hear from God's Word yourself. The Word of God is God's Word. It's true. It is truth. And today, boy, that's of great value because a lot of people obviously do not understand what truth. They think they define truth. Your preacher doesn't define truth. I just follow the truth. The Word of God is true. Jesus is true. It will not mislead you. So you can have confidence in a time when there's a lot, not a lot of confidence. I just heard a statistic. In 2006, when I started this series, I, I, I taught how there was such a lack, as in my introduction to this, I taught about there's a lack of faith in institutions. That's how I started the whole thing off. And that was true. But I just heard recently that, that it's a scary thought. That's still true to this day, but there is, a, a, there is an expectation uh, that people, a large expectation that cannot be met, that people are looking to the, the companies in which they work for to, to speak to them on all kinds of issues, geopolitical issues, social issues, et cetera, et cetera. Because, you know, the Marxist mentality is obviously creeping in. So people are expecting, well, the business guy to be able to meet all these needs. Business guy's there to make money. He don't care about you. Well, that's not always true, so forgive me for you business owners. That's not true. Uh, but uh, at the end of the day, right, if you own a business, that is your primary objective. And that's, you don't have to apologize for that. The job of a business, just let me burst everyone's bubble. The job of a business owner is to make profits. That's it. If you have a benevolent owner that, that reinvests in you, man, praise God. But you get your wages, your job is to help them make profits, and if you don't like that, well, then start your own business, right? That is ultimately how it works. You can't expect them to provide all these other things because they're not equipped to do that. Their job is to, to provide a product that produces a profit. And it's getting harder and harder because their margins are getting smaller. And so, uh, so where do you go? Oh, I'm glad you asked. You go to Christ. 
to find the, the solutions you need. You go to the Bible that is true to find the solutions you need. And so it will not mislead you. If you've called upon the name of the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior, then you automatically will be crying out to Him as a newborn babe. And you will be saying, Abba, Father. And another, another word for crying out to God is simply prayer. Every Sunday night we come and we cry out to God in prayer. You never get too old to cry out to God in prayer. God answers your prayer through the Scripture, the Bible. The Bible tells you the answers. And like a child, the more time you spend with your Father in the Word, the sooner you will understand what He is saying to you, and the sooner you'll be able to communicate to Him, and He will communicate to you even more clearly. The Bible is instrumental in your communication process. And so we find Christ, we find the Bible, but what do you think the last one is? Find what? Church! Very good, Sharon. Give her a brownie, although... I don't know if she's eating sugar right now. But anyway, uh, Sharon, very good. So find the church, right? The local New Testament church is the structure. So God has ordained uh, the local New Testament church to protect both the shepherd and the sheep. The, The biblical New Testament church is an environment where you will find many followers of Christ. Man, there's lots of people to look to. And we're all going the same way, God willing. We're following Christ. We're following Him. And so... The New Testament, local New Testament, the, the, let me back up. The, the biblical New Testament church is this environment where you can grow. The leaders in the biblical uh, uh, church are simply servants of Christ. We're just here to serve the congregation. Because in the Bible, leadership is service. That's all it is. It's servant leadership. It is, the, it is in the church that you will find the examples and the examples you need to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. The church is the place where you should find people who will help you go first into the battles of life. And you will find experienced soldiers who know what it is to tackle tough issues in life by faith. right? Not by uh, this way or that way, but by faith, trusting the Word of God. Let's stop and pray about this matter. What does the Bible say about this matter? What does God want in, the, in this situation? That's what someone who's following Christ is going to ask. Not My opinion is, our opinions don't mean anything. What does God's Word say, right? You find the church is a place, uh, yes, is it a hospital for sick people? Absolutely, but by God's grace, it's more than that. It's also, it's also a place, a citadel of soldiers, right? It is a place where you walk in the door, and hopefully, if it's a healthy church, there's a nursery. I don't mean just a physical nursery. Uh, that's true, too, but a spiritual nursery. So there's always babies crying. There's always needs, there's, but there's also... It's a citadel of soldiers. It's people that have tested and tried the the word of God. They know Christ. They know his word. And they've been walking with him and following him. And there's people there that God will connect you with to give you strength. Because we edify one another, Ephesians says, in love. Right? There's real love here. And uh, it's, it's genuine biblical love. And so mature believers must simply be willing to go first. So that's, that's revolutionary. But it's so simple. Find a place in Scripture that tells you what to do. If you're born again, you say, man, I want to be a biblical leader. I want to be in real battles. I want to make a difference like David. <clears throat> well, great. Well, then f- find a place in Scripture that tells you what to do. That You know it's talking to you. What should I do? I- I'll give you one. We just heard it last week. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We got a ministry. There's an I go meeting today after church. If you want to be intentional about your gospel outreach, Go talk to Pat. Go talk to Jeremy. Jeremy's leading up a team. On the 13th, we need people that will just simply go and knock on doors and invite people out for a service in Clinton. It's like, you don't even have to get a passport for this. You don't even, I don't think there's any money other than maybe some gas money to drive to Clinton. I mean, you can't get any less skin in the game. You just got to be willing to go. You say, well, I don't have God's will on that. Well, okay, let me rewind the tape to last week. Go ye therefore, go. That is not a suggestion. That is a command. So you just found it. Matthew chapter 28. Go back there and look at it. You can go. Now you just got to decide if you will. Will you obey? Will you be a part of that? Does God want you to go? If so, see Jeremy. We only need six people. So it'd be cool to bring 12 or 20, wouldn't it? So find a place in Scripture that tells you what to do. And I could go on all day with those, right? That's what we do here is is we find what God says and we want to do it. And then we need to find a place in life that allows you to do it. Right? I remember when I was a young Christian and I was processing uh, all of these things. I was processing what you heard last week. And I literally, I was, uh, I was in high school and I went to, I broke up with my girlfriend because we both decided 
You know, we got to do what God wants us to do. We don't want to be unencumbered. Um, and we, 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 me and Amy agreed that whatever God wants, we wants. And I go on this trip to Monmouth and uh, Illinois. There was no Mike Blake there. Uh, it was long before all that. And uh, they were just a church plant. And uh, we did a youth thing, and I'm working out through all these things. And all I want to do is preach the gospel. I literally printed out a map, put it on my wall. I was putting dots on it where I had gone and preached the gospel. And I learned a great lesson that week. I won't get into all that, but I went up there, and, and a guy didn't receive the gospel. It was so clearly preached. I had a chance to lead him to Christ, and he said no. I didn't know what to do. I thought people were just supposed to say yes. You know, I, feel, I took it so personal. And I learned, that, I learned on that trip, my, my first trip beyond my Jerusalem, that, you know what, Brian, you just preach the gospel. Let the results, the results are on me. You just do your job, I'll do mine. It was a hard lesson to learn, actually. But as I came back from that, I was processing, and I came to Kansas City as a coming down 35, and I was just thinking about, I saw those lights, you know, and Steve Warner had that song, Kansas City Lights. And so I'm just looking at all these lights, you know, and I'm like, man, this is a big city, and there's 2 million people roughly in the metro or whatever it was back then, 1.8. And, uh, and you know, uh, I just need to get busy here in Kansas City. I just got to win every soul to Christ. And I literally was like, I personally got to do this. Like, it's my job. And you know what? That was great. That zeal, although it was not really a biblical method, God used that in my life to help open my eyes and understand. I was already in progress. Like leading, I was already leading. I didn't even know I was leading people. I was already underway with this zeal to reach every person. I mean, I need more help because I can't, I can't get here and I can't get, before God opened my eyes and said, hey, Brian, go back and reread Matthew 28. Your job is to make disciples. Beloved, if God wouldn't have grown me in my understanding of what the Bible said about how I engaged with Jesus Christ and what that meant with the local New Testament church, I would not be your pastor today. I'd be doing evangelism down at the mission still. But God, he grew me in my, in my understanding through what? Through the Spirit of God, which is Christ in me, the Word of God, and yes, the local New Testament church. Those three things are so important uh, if you're a leader. Because you've got to follow Christ. And those three things will help you out so much. So find the scripture that tells you what to do. Find a place in your life that allows you to do it. God will bring you opportunities. And then find the people in God's plan that he wants you to do it with. Find the people in God's plan that he wants you to do it with. That's how you're going to go first. You say, man, I want to go first. Well, mature, mature believers simply go. And then they, they understand what the Bible says and where God's telling them to go. They understand uh, that this is the season or the opportunity in life in which God has given you to do it, and, and there, that your story does enter into the story of the Scriptures. At some point, you've got to step into the storyline and say, I'm all in. And then you get the people that God puts together through the local New Testament church, and you do it with them. And He will take it from there, I promise you. He'll take it from there. He'll grow you on up. So point B, uh, real leaders are faithful fathers. You notice as Paul spoke there in in both uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and 1 Corinthians. In both of those passages, passages, he's dealing with this father-son relationship, his son Timothy. Uh, You know, there's many teachers, but not many fathers, right? He's all about this fatherhood. Real leaders are faithful fathers. Uh, In the text in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 4, I'm going to go back and and read that. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse, uh, go back a, a verse prior, verse 14. The Bible says there, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you have not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Now he's not talking to Timothy here. He's talking to the, the men uh, and women at Corinth. And he's, he's dealing with them on their need uh, to follow, right? And he goes on to say... Uh, uh, wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me, right? And then, of course, we've read the balance of that scripture already. In Second Timothy chapter one and verse two, Paul says, Second <clears throat> Timothy one two, he says to Timothy, my my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord, right? He deals with him as a son. All the way up through verse 4, he, he gives some, some indication here how he feels. He's thankful. He says, I thank God 
whom I served for my forefathers with a pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. Man, that is, that, you know verse 3 is so pregnant with meaning. Paul is talking about his Hebrew heritage. He's a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And yet he's chucked all that for Christ, so to speak. He's, he's completely taken on grace. And he's saying, everything I know, everything I know about the Old Testament, everything I know about Christ, I'm entrusting to this half-Jew, half-Gentile boy named Timothy. And I'm so thankful to do it. I'm so encouraged in that. Timothy didn't meet any of the, the ethnic requirements that would have been required as a Jew, but he had what it took in the heart that Paul could trust him and count him as a son. Verse 4, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears that I may be filled with joy. You know what? These two had suffered together. They had, they had grown together because, well, there was suffering involved with following Christ. And so Paul saw him as a father. Point one, real leaders care about God's heritage. I got a, a clip here uh, that I want to show you. But before I get to that, I'll note that, that before I that kind of set this clip up, this relationship, this father-son relationship that, that Paul had both with the saints at Corinth, with his son Timothy and the Lord there, uh, it grows to this place of him being a soldier. Just to remind you of what 2 Timothy 2 one says, Thou therefore my son, what do I need you to do, son? Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You got that clip ready? Just, I want you to watch this quick, quick little clip. To put into words, Mr. Maloney, the extremely high regard that I have for the American soldier. He is the best fighting man that I have ever seen. And I would like for you, if you convey anything out of this area where we've been for the last three days and nights, please convey to the American people what a tremendous fighting man we have here. He's courageous, he's aggressive, and he's kind. And he'll go where you tell him to go. And he's got self-discipline. And he's got good unit discipline. He's just an outstanding man. And having commanded this battalion for 18 months, you must excuse my emotion here, but when I see some of these men go out where they have, I haven't, I can't tell you how highly I feel. You know, that's Colonel Hal Moore, not Mel Gibson. And uh, that is the real footage from the battlefield. If you ever saw the movie, We Were Soldiers. After a tremendous battle um, that that eventually was won, uh, that is the real footage of the real commander who commanded real soldiers. Um, and, And you know what? You notice what he said. He goes, he gave all these attributes. And the last thing he says, and they're kind. They're kind. What a strange thing for a, a, a leader of soldiers to say. They're kind. Well, these, are, these men are supposed to be killers, aren't they? Well, absolutely. They're under authority to execute justice and judgment. But at the end of the day, he understood those, those guys had to care for one another, right? They were kind. And uh, obviously, he's touched as a commander uh, of such an intense situation uh, that certainly could have went the other way very easily. They were outnumbered, outmanned. I mean, everything... It was uh, God's grace that they got through that. Um, you know, it was an, it's very touching. Now, there's nothing there, you know, I'm not wanting to go too far with my analogy, but when I think about this real leaders caring about God's heritage, this clip shows an unusual insight into the care of a leader for those who are engaging in the rigors of the battle. And, and you notice that he, com- he commends them when he calls them kind. You know, and that's because... He's, he's, he knows that they, they escaped hell on earth. They escaped hell on earth. And uh, he has nothing but the highest regard. Now, I think Colonel Moore passed away, and I don't even know if he was a Christian, but God needs our obedience. But he, he is kind, and he appreciates our tenderness as well. He needs us to be obedient, like a soldier, but he also needs us to be tender as a son. Right? we got to have the same heart that God has. Don't let the devil tell you that your heavenly father does not care about you, even when you're going through difficult times. It's because he cares not just about you, but he cares about others that he will allow you to go through difficult times because he will use your pain for their gain. 
And when you understand the love that he has for you, you're able to endure that. Don't doubt his love. Don't let the devil tell you that, that God doesn't care about you. Don't let him tell you that I don't care about you. I do care about you, but I'm not Jesus, right? I don't care as good as he cares, but people who love God love you. And so there's no doubt that Paul had a deep care and concern for Timothy as if it were his own son. And so for a father to teach his son to be strong in the grace, and in grace, I'm sorry, they must demonstrate that grace. So Paul is telling Timothy that it will be difficult to follow Jesus, but you need to do it anyway. In verses 8 and 9, in, this, in the same text that we're in, 2 Timothy chapter 1, look at verses 8 and 9. He says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Timothy, I love you, you're my son, but you're going to have to suck it up, buttercup, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Timothy, my son, be strong in the graces in Christ Jesus because you will need to make sure that you can, you can demonstrate the strength of God. And that can only happen through grace. Yes, I'm in jail. And yeah, it's been hard. But you know what, son? I need you to act like a good soldier. I need you to buck up. Don't fold. Point three, you know what? Who have you begotten? Who have you begotten? That's also a question here. Who, who, who have you begotten? In Philemon, in verse 10, Paul said, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. One of the benefits of Paul's suffering and imprisonment was that he begot a, a son in the Lord named Onesimus. Jail is a great place to win people to Christ. Pastor Rajan, a friend of his uh, over in uh, Nepal, Got to sent, he accidentally had some game on a motorcycle that he didn't know was illegal. And they threw him in prison for like five, six years. Uh, the, you know, the, the Department of National Re- Natural Resources in Nepal arrests him, says, you, that's a protected species, you're going to jail. Goes to jail, terrible situation. He didn't even know it. And, uh, but you know what? He, everyone in that jail got saved. Now, this is true testimony. I just was asking Rajan when he was here a few weeks ago, and he was telling me about it. Oh, yeah, he goes, there's, you know, 50 people got saved and, you know, whatever. The, incredible. Right? His suffering ended up resulting in begetting many sons. You know, sometimes the pain is worth the gain. A lot of women, I, I, I don't, I've not been through childbirth. I don't want to go there, but, but that's a lot of pain. But I don't know many mothers that would say, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. It wasn't worth the pain. Because the gain of begetting a child is worth it. And of course, there's pain that comes after that as well. The fruit of evangelism is, a sweet, of evangelism is sweetest when, when God gives you a son that you can train up to replace you. Right? When God gives you fruit that, that can be matured. And, and, I, and I personally have led people to Christ and I've discipled people. And I praise God, by God's grace, he's given me sons. But the difference is in the relationship. Those who to, you've been able to, to pour, when you pour your life uh, into people and you have the ability to go through thick and thin with them, you know what? You hang together, it just never breaks. You know, tomorrow night I'm going to have dinner with Doug Howie. We, we're, you know, for good or bad, man, we're bound until Jesus comes. I mean, we're, you know, he gives me way too much credit, but it's because at the time in which he got saved and the time in which I was discipling, we were both going through a lot. And God used that to form a bond. And, and God does that. Have you begotten anybody? Have you led anyone to Christ? Are there any sons in your life full of faith, full of ministry? Now, I'm not saying that you're a lesser citizen in the kingdom of God if there is not, but that's something you, that we should all desire is to see fruit in our life. Why did God save you if it's not to see other people get saved and discipled? Beyond just saved, discipled. That's what the church does is reproduce disciples. It's not just evangelism. Evangelism is great. But if we lead people to Christ in Clinton, by God's grace, we've got to plug them into a church so they can become disciples. It's all about discipleship. You can't divorce evangelism from discipleship. It all goes hand in hand. It's one and the same. Why are we out evangelizing? Because we're looking for sons. And obviously that analogy goes to women as well. And then point four, raise your son to be your son. That sounds a little, that's bad English, bad grammar. But the practical application of this passage is obvious. Raise your, your children rather 
daughter or son to be your son in the faith, right? Your replacement, someone that can come up and follow like you followed Christ. And that's not going to happen if you're not following Christ. Is your life worthy of replication? Paul credits Timothy's mother and grandmother for much of the credit in Timothy's life, right? It's not all just about Paul. In in 2 Timothy 1, verse 5, Paul says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. He said, I I hope you can live up to the faith that I see in your grandma and your mom. You know what this world, there's a lot of single, over 40-some percent of the children born today are born to single mothers. Everything I'm talking about with sons applies to this passage. I mean, you know what the sons need and the daughters need to the single mother is to see a Eunice. They definitely need fathers, but in lack of a father, they need God the Father, Jesus Christ, the church, right? They need the whole package so they can bring up Timothy's, people that are able to bear the weight of the church. And so uh, that's what Timothy's calling for, or Paul's calling for. Raise up your son to be your son. And he says in point C, real leaders are faithful teachers. And we know this verse. It's, on the, it's like the, you know, the mantra around here. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. We're trusting God to build structure here at HBF. That brings this passage to life, right? Training them up. You've got to have a place to train. Second Timothy is the key verse for discipleship. There was a time in our country when, when we had a war to fight, you just gathered every willing man up, grabbed their weapons, whatever they got, and you just went to war, right? You just, you know, not a lot of training. You just went from the farm to the front. But over time, you know what has happened is we had a standing army. Why do we do a standing army? Because we need readiness. Well, we used to need readiness. Uh, we still do, by the way. You, you, have to have a, you have to have people trained and ready to go. So what do they do? They have a standing army. That means these, these people are in a position... Uh, in a structure so that they can learn and be ready and be well-trained to go to war. So why, why do they do that? So that when they face off with the enemy, they have the best army. You think it's an accident that God commands his church to meet on the first day of the week? Why? Why does he do that? Because he needs the best army. There's no discharge from this war. We come together to get God's instruction, to apply it, to continue, and then we go right back out in the battlefield and, uh, and we apply what we're learning. Why? So that when the battles come, we're ready. God's standing army is a local church. And many Christians, it takes you a while to realize this. It's taken me many years to really grasp the reality of that. The Philadelphian church age, every other hymn was, you know, soldier, soldier, soldier. Why? Because they understood the magnitude of what happened when people got saved. It changes the culture. It changes the kingdoms of this world. We are in the kingdom of God and we serve a king. And that will be manifest after the catching away of the church, after the seven-year tribulation. When we come back, we come back as an army. An army executing justice and judgment, Revelation 19, after the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so this is important. The church is a structure to, to train people up. Paul leads by example, and now he expects his son in the faith to do the same. This is a command, not an option. Discipleship, by the way. We present it here as an option, but I'll just tell you the truth. It's really not, right? It, it, it isn't, it, you, don't have to, you don't have to follow Jesus as a disciple if you don't want to, right? You can be saved and, and go to heaven. But ultimately, being a disciple is where it's at. Follow me. That's what God wants from us. And it's a decision. It is a free will decision. You get to make the decision, but man, it is, a, it is not a, it's not optional. Let me, let me put, when I say that, let me put it this way. If, if, uh, if, ever, if the pastor team got together and the deacon te- deacons got together and, and maybe 90% of you got together and you all got together and you said, Brian, you know, God, Brian, we, we appreciate what's going on around here, but this discipleship thing, we just need to change it. We need to kick it out. We need to not worry about that. We need to do something different. I'm telling you, I'm not doing nothing different. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. That ain't going to happen because our pastors wouldn't do that either. But, and nor would our deacons, nor would most of y'all, because you understand that is biblically what it's all about. Go ye therefore and teach. Make disciples of all nations. That is the mission, is discipleship. That is what we do. And this is the structure that God wants us to do with it. You cannot teach faithful men, by the way, if we're not faithful men. If I'm not a faithful man, why would anyone follow me? We just cannot do that. So we are trusting God to build in this structure right here things that help. 
things that help you learn at home, things that help you learn at work, at school, uh, across the fence with your neighbor. When you're at the barber shop, at the Kingdom Seekers Ministry, the youth ministry, the men's breakfast, invest ladies' fellowship, right? Mowing the lawn, whatever it is, whatever God calls us to do, all of that is used to grow us in grace. And if we're not teaching faithful men, we're not accomplishing the mission, which Matthew 28 is very clearly teaching us, to teach all nations and therefore disciple them, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, the whole counsel of God's word. And the nice thing is Jesus says, hey, this isn't going out of style. Lo, I'm with you all way, even till the end of the world. So point D, real leaders are faithful soldiers. Well, this isn't going to surprise you or sneak up on you. Now, in verses 3 through 5 of 2 Timothy 3, or 2, I'm sorry, we've already read over that. He deals there in those verses with a soldier. Uh, the faithful soldier is a tough soldier. He says, I need you to endure hardness, Timothy. Spiritual battle softens and toughens at the same time. Spiritual warfare makes us tender to God's voice and less impacted by the voices of those that are around us. We need to listen. And that's one of the hardest things to do is listen. You guys are doing a good job, by the way. But leadership is tough. As you endeavor to follow Christ, the bombs of life are going off all around you and within you as well, because the flesh will never die until it's dead. Without the distraction and the noise of combat, you know, you wouldn't be in a war. And so a spiritual leader must have a survivor's mentality. We endure because we cannot die. We will not die. Even if you kill us, we won't die. And so we are supernatural. We cannot die. We're alive from the dead. And the sooner we learn that we're already dead, buried and resurrected, the sooner that we can get back on the mission at hand. We don't have a lot of time to mess around and be victims. Why? Because we're called into battle. We're soldiers. The experience of battle will forever change your perspective about the priorities of life. You will, you will not care about what color the carpet in the church is. Uh, your feelings won't be hurt so easily. You will understand that life is, is about the souls of men, about the will of God, and not, our, not my or your selfish desires that get in the way of people getting saved and discipled. I was, just, uh, I was just spending some time with Mike Blake this week, and we were just talking about, uh, you know, you think about this and that and the other thing. And I said, you know, brother, I just got to have a good missions trip. Uh, I'd like to have this in my house, that in my house. How many, you know, you want to remodel your house, carpet's getting old, the floor's getting old, the cabinets are the wrong color, whatever. You know, watching too much DYI. I mean, I was, I was telling Mike, I said, you know, brother, I just need to go to, I just need to go on the mission field one more time. Just need to get out on the field. One trip to India, come back. I'm, I'm a, I'm a king. I'm living in a king. My, my house is awesome. My hot water that comes out of that shower head is awesome. It's amazing when you get in a real battle, right? You go out and you experience some, some reality outside of your comfort zone. You come home and it changes everything. Your world, your perspective is no longer the same. The things that used to trouble you no longer trouble you. It's just not a big deal. You know what? Some of you have gone through serious health issues, many in our church. You lose a loved one, right? All of a sudden, when something traumatic, a real battle in life happens, all of a sudden, all that other stuff just isn't as important anymore. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you should let things slide and you should, you know, don't let the paint bubble on your house. I mean, take care of all the stuff. But I'm saying at the end of the day, it just doesn't have the same value that it used to have. Why? Because we're focused on following Christ and the things that are important to Him become important to us. And that is the Word of God and the souls of men. There's no more time for all that silliness. Soldiers are focused on what God has for them, and faithful soldiers are not encumbered. Verse 4, No man that warreth entangled himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. There's a point in your life where you say, Wait a minute, I am going to go with less here or less there because I'm following Jesus, and I'm okay with it because he's called me to be a soldier. I don't have to have this or that or what I thought I deserved or what I thought I was striving for. What I really want is Jesus Christ and Him to be glorified. That's the ultimate thing ever is is Christ. Don't get encumbered with the things of this life. Some of us are so tied down to the world, the flesh and the devil, devil that you're not free to serve Christ. God forbid, man. Get yourself free to serve the Lord. Get unencumbered. You could not be a missionary if God called you because you have too much debt. You can't participate in ministry because you're working 100 hours a week just to pay off an entertainment center or something. 
It's ultimately all, ultimately all about priorities. Now, I'm giving you, I just want to put a little, give some people some grace here. If you just got saved last week, man, this is not for you, all right? I'm talking to people who ought to know better, right? People that, that have been around long enough to hear the call of God say, hey, son, follow me. Hey, daughter, follow me. I'm calling you deeper. You can't participate. You can't go. You, you go to the mission conference, and you, and you really feel stirred, maybe even feel called, but you can't go. You can't even begin to prepare to go. You can't even go because I, you, got, you don't want to make time for D1. Well, you won't get to D2, and you won't get to HBI then. Right? You've got to make a decision. This is where I'm going. This is, what, this is where I'm headed. I'm following Jesus. Now, I'm not saying everybody here needs to be a missionary or a pastor, but I would guess that there's some people under the sound of my voice because this is the mission, ultimately, is not just to reproduce a happy life in America, but to reproduce local New Testament churches that can reach the world for Christ. And, K- and HBF is not the only church that can do that. We need more, more men, we need more missions, and we need, we need to get it done. We need to fill up these empty seats with people that are hungry for the Word of God, that want to be trained, and that will go. And if we're not going, we should be supporting those that want to go. That's what it's all about. It's about accomplishing the mission of God and the power of God for the glory of God because time is a ticking. That's why I'm here. And I know I've said this before. I'll say it again. If that's not the type of church this is, then I'm not the right pastor for it, right? Because that's who we are. That's what God has called the church to be and do until He comes. A soldier stays free for God's deployment. They change their job to match their ministry. They don't match their ministry to, to their job. If I was doing that, I would have never come to Harrisonville. There's a point where you've got to say, you know what? It's been a great job, been a great career. I'm hanging it up. Why? I've got to, go to I gotta follow God by faith with a handful of people and see what God does. Now, not, that's not for everybody, but it is for some. It's for some. And if you're, if you're encumbered and you're tied down and you haven't gotten yourself disciplined through discipleship to understand the rigors of ministry so that you can set your life apart, you will never get where God is wanting you to go. I'm not calling anybody here to go, by the way. I'm not. I don't even want to. If you, if you go because I called you, you're going to crash and burn. I'm talking about people who are hearing God's voice and they know in their soul that God is calling them. You don't even have to be through D1 to, to know that. You may not articulate it. You may not know how to talk about it. You may be scared to even mention it out loud. I know I've been there. But if God is calling you and he is weighing down your soul and you know you need to follow him and you know he's calling you to real battle someday, you better get to preparing because time is not going to wait. Before you know it, man, the the, the clock is going to be ticking. You're going to be 70 years old looking back going, man, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. There's no more time for that. You better go now. Now is the time. The faithful soldier doesn't, he doesn't cut corners. Verse 5, and the man, uh, if a man also strive for the masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. Lawfully. He doesn't cut corners. There's no shortcutting the suffering of being a soldier. No one in the military, including the top brass, were able to bypass boot camp. Not even the top brass, they even got to go to boot camp. At HBF, no one teaches the Bible in ministry unless they've submitted to the discipleship process, at least D1. And this ensures that we, we march in cadence as we enter into battle. If you want to do your own thing, that's great, but you're just not going to do it here, right? And so that's fine. But we all understand the fundamentals. That's what D1 is, the fundamentals of the faith. Salvation, eternal life, baptism. I mean, we're not talking about a PhD in theology. We're just talking about these are the basics these are the basics. So we don't cut corners. Point E, real leaders are faithful farmers as well. In verses 6 and 7, he, he transitions to this point about farmers. And uh, he says, The husbandman that, that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord will give the understanding in a few things. All things. Thank you. Man, I was reading out of the NIV. So, uh, a few things. <clears throat> a few things. No, all things. It says all things. He's going to give you understanding in everything. In everything. And so, man, God, God has some wisdom here in the farmer. There's a balance between being a soldier and a farmer. I've talked a lot about soldiering this morning, but Deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse 5 says this, And the officers shall speak unto the people, saying, 
What man is there that hath built a new house and hath not dedicated it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in battle and another man dedicate it. And a man, <clears throat> and, and what man is he that planteth a vineyard and hath not yet eaten of it? Let him also go and return into his house, lest he die in the battle and another man eat of it. And what man is there that hath betrothed the wife and hath not taken her? Let him go and return into his house, lest he die in battle and another man take her. And the officer shall speak further unto the people, and they shall say, What man is there that is fearful or faint-hearted? Let him go and return unto his house, lest his brethren's heart faint as well as his heart. And it shall be, when the officers have made an end in speaking unto the people, that they shall make captains of the armies and lead the people. Now this is Old Testament, but there's some wisdom here. A real leader understands that there are seasons to life and ministry. And the wise captain will not call newlyweds into battle. They'll let them establish their home. They will get them established in, in, in the structure so that they can be sustained in the fight. When they get into the fight, they're ready for the battle. Now, that's one of the mistakes many te- uh, churches make. I've made it in the past uh, just out of necessity. We employ people in the battle that probably aren't ready. I was there myself at one time. It's not a good thing. I tell you, my, my own father um, was born again and, and in a church, and they used him like a Missouri mule right? Drive the bus, build the building, do this and do that. But they'd never invested the Bible in him. So by the time I became a young man, and I'm listening, the church was, I mean, I can't even repeat in this room the things that, how he viewed the church. It wasn't very good. And uh, nor was it the doctrine that he didn't know because nobody taught him. And so, uh, and so I realized when I became a pastor and I discovered uh, that my dad was actually saved, and, uh, and, that, and I tried to reconcile all of this. I'm like, what went wrong? What went wrong was nobody took into it. They loved him as a soldier, but nobody did anything. A disciple. There was no nurturing. There was no tender vine time. There was nobody that was saying, go home and take care of your family. And that was actually the final straw. Was uh, He couldn't drive the YFC bus. And instead of saying, hey, that's okay, brother. We know that you're working a 40-plus hour job. You got three kids and uh, whatever, and, uh, and your joints hurt, uh, why don't you just come to church this Sunday and sit and take a, a break? They paid a good guilt trip on him, and that was it. He was out. He was gone. Now, the, my point is not that there didn't need to be people to drive the bus to YFC or to do everything else. The problem was that church was not making disciples, right? They were leading people to Christ, and then they were putting them to work. Now, it's good to go to work, but first you've got to get the word in you. You've got to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're like, hey, man, I'm not going to get in discipleship, so I don't have to do anything around here. All right, well, you can go to the judgment seat of Christ with that. But that's not most people's attitude. We want to serve the Lord. We want to love the Lord. Not everybody has to be a pastor or missionary, but we ought to at least invest in the Word of God so that we have a better home life, that we can raise our children in the way they should go, so that we can be mutually beneficial to the other body parts, right? There is a farming aspect. There is a nurturing aspect to what we do in the body of Christ. It's not just soldiering, although I like that. I like soldiering. That's why we're talking about real battles. But there also has to be a nurturing aspect, right? That's why we edify, we build one another in love. And so farming requires work. You have children, you do that out of love, praise God for the fruit, but now you've got to raise it, right? There's work. Farming requires work as well. Reading, praying, serving others is laborious, laborious. Sowing God's word, And the work uh, involved in that is also laborious. It takes work. Farming requires patience. When you farm, you don't see immediate results. You learn to be patient. You learn to to be patient when you are a farmer. It takes time to see the fruit manifest. And farming also, big time, requires faith. So what are we learning when we are nurturing people? We're teaching people how to work. We're teaching people how to be patient. We're teaching uh, people uh, how to have faith, to believe God's word, how to apply God's word in their life. You don't put the full weight of the mission on a child, right? You want them to grow and mature into adulthood so they can face the rigors of battle. You'll notice in Deuteronomy, that passage I read, what is really going on when the priests were preparing the men for battle? What they needed were people that were fully persuaded. So they went into battle. Their heart would not be shifted to the left or the right. They would go forward, and they wouldn't discourage their fellow soldier. That's what the church needs today. We need to do a good job of discipling, of building people, of growing people in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So when the battles come, we don't sway to the left hand or the right, right? The next COVID crisis, the next identity crisis, the next whatever crisis, the next 
there's always a crisis. There's going to be more crisis because things are falling apart all over the place. But the place where we're, the, the truth is, is preached is right here and among all the churches that preach the truth. And we, churches that are the pillar and ground of the church of the truth, are going to be the only thing that people can trust or know is absolute in this world until Jesus catches us away. I mean, we are the last thing going to be left that has any bearings on where north is. And man, it's important that we get a hold of these things, that we continue in the things that we've already learned, knowing of whom we've learned them. The discipling and the nurturing of the body of Christ is fundamental in fighting the battle. Point F, real leaders are are faithful examples. In verses 8 through 10, he says, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffer, suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds. But the word of God isn't bound. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake, uh, that they may also obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So Paul reminds Timothy that he is living what he preaches. So Paul is preaching the gospel, the good news about the Savior. And that's what we need to be busy doing as well. He says, therefore, therefore what? In 2 Timothy 2.10, I will endure all things. Whatsoever I, ha- I have to, uh, uh, to do, I will do. I will accomplish the mission. I will do what is necessary. Uh, and you know what? We have been saved to accomplish that mission. In Acts 9.15, Paul said, But the Lord said unto me, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So Paul was a model of what he asked Timothy to do. The battles of life refined Paul's faith and faithfulness because inside of Paul was pure gold, right? The Lord Jesus Christ. So what we've seen is that that real battles refine leaders. Real leaders uh, lead from the front. Real leaders uh, are are faithful. And lastly, real leaders are fruitful. So I don't have time to go into all the details. I'm just going to give you the blanks and be done. But a real leader, uh, they're they're fruitful ministers. Real leaders reproduce uh, faithful leaders as Moses and Joshua, as David and his mighty men, as Jesus and his twelve, as Barnabas and had uh, John Mark, as Paul had Timothy and Titus and, and all the other disciples. What we want to see in ministry is generational discipleship. Generational discipleship. I think I've made a pretty strong case for that. I could go on and on about that, but just to suffice to say this, HBF is strategically designed by God's Word, His Spirit, and our biblical methodolo- methodology as a force multiplier. We do that through intimacy with Christ, intimacy uh, with one another in the Word of God. It reproduces spiritual fruit that, that builds the body of Christ. And therefore, God gives us uh, real battles, and real leaders are refined there. And we become a force multiplier, and God uses us in an effectual way to advance the kingdom of God. If we do not reproduce leaders, it is not God's fault. Why is it not His fault? Because we know what we're supposed to do. Ultimately, we have to do what we're supposed to do. Uh, If we don't do it, it is not going to happen on its own. Oh, God, provide leaders. God's going to say, okay, go win someone to Christ. Go disciple somebody. Go ahead and teach HBI. Go ahead and do D2. And it's not just the classes. It's the structure. It is the environment. It is the place in which God has provided for us to reproduce not just men, but ultimately ministries and local New Testament churches as we've seen in Clinton. Last point, real leaders reproduce fruitful ministries. Uh, Fruitful ministries will reproduce fruitful ministries. By God's grace, we could stand to be a little bit more fruitful before the Lord Jesus comes. I pray that God will allow us that grace to have more fruit. Fruitful ministries will reproduce fruitful ministries. Paul wrote wrote two types of epistles, one to the churches and one to individuals. Those are, are the two things reproduced by a real leader. What did Paul reproduce? When you look at his life, what did the apostles of the Gentiles reproduce? Faithful men and faithful ministries, local New Testament churches. Beloved, that's all God's called us to do, reproduce faithful men and faithful ministries. And uh, those are the two things that God wants us to do. Remember, the world population is exploding. Cultures are continuing to segment, and it's our job to respond to these real battles because there will be a day when we will give account not for wondering, what's going on around here? What happened over here? What's going to happen with Taiwan? What's going to happen with Ukraine? What's going to happen with the dollar? What's going to happen here? What's going to... Hey, listen, what's going to happen there is what's going to happen. The real question that I have as the pastor of this church is what's going to happen right here? What's going to happen right here? And are we ready to, be, to face anything that comes? 
with the absolute standards of God's word. And in the midst of whatever comes, no matter what, still reproducing faithful men and faithful ministries. There is no discharge. There is no excuses. Oh, COVID came, we can't move. No COVID comes, we still do church. Right? Oh, airline tickets are too high. Well, we still got to go. I mean, it didn't stop the Moravians. I'm just saying. You just got to do what the Bible tells you to do. Now, to do that requires that we grow as real leaders as we are engaged in real battles. The real battles that we go through the day prepare you for the next. If you've ever been involved in sports, that's why you have practice, right? What is those? There are many battles. They're even called, uh, you know, you get together and you skirmish, right? You get together and what do they call that when they... Scrimmage, that's right, skirmish, scrimmage, that's a better word. Uh, you scrimmage, you get together, and what do you do? You emulate the battle. Why? Because there's a bigger one coming. There's a bigger one coming. Beloved, are you ready for the real battles of life? Are you reeling with all the changes, or are you ready? And that's really what I pray this series does for all of us at HBF, is it helps us quit reeling from left to right, from you know wondering what's going to happen next. Obviously, I don't know what's going to happen next. You don't know what's going to happen next. But we don't have to be reeling to and fro with every wind of doctrine. We can be fixed and fixed forward because we already know. Colossians has told us to set our affections on things above, to put our heart and our mind in what God says, to continue on the mission that God has granted us. And by doing that, when we follow Christ, you will be shocked at the people who will want to follow him. You'll be like, whoa, whoa, what's going on around here? What's the difference? The difference is we're following Jesus no matter what, and that is exactly what this culture needs to see because they're aimless. They don't know where to go. That's why we got to go back to point one, right? Everybody's welcome and everybody wanted because we gotta, we got to be available for all the people that need help, man. And it isn't going to be done by babies. Some of us are going to have to decide, even today, to grow up. I'm going to grow up. I want to be in the battle. I'm willing to be a soldier. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity uh, to come together today and, 